0: We all really love it when we're going and we have flow and energy and everything's lined up and we're getting things done left and right and it feels so productive and in purpose. But how do you feel when you go through the fallow times? The quiet times, the dark times, the inwards times, the dreaming times, the slowing down, the stillness, the not knowingness. How do you do during those times? Because that is the yin part of your cycle. And today's guest, Brynna Magnuson, is here to talk with us about yin mysticism and even yin phobia. Join us to find out more. Soul Nectar
1: Show, the Soul Nectar Show, you're invited to skyroll who you are anything is possible if you believe so join us on this beautiful journey journey
0: hello and welcome everyone to another episode of soul nectar show that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is greater than us, to the big mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably towards a deeper understanding of ourselves and others and this planet, this beautiful Mother Earth. And I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. As you know, I love these conversations. I this is my jam. Uh, I've been doing this now over seven years, and I'm just really today feeling this call to yin, you know, this call to the sacred feminine, this call to being held and supported and lifted and in floating, floating down the river and letting it guide me, being guided. I'm so excited for today's guest because uh, she's kind of all about yin and yin mysticism and even yin phobia. Can you imagine that? Like, afraid of yin afraid of surrender afraid of the feminine it's just kind of like why but we're going to explore that today and today's guest is, is Bryna Magnuson welcome Bryna. thank you for having me Bryna is an author and an illustrator on topics of energetics and mysticism and spirituality over the last 10 years as she's apprenticed in these modalities She creates illustrated guides to bridge others interested in pursuing the same niche areas of study. She created animal totems and the I Ching, oh my gosh, I love the I Ching, Um, the human design deck, yin mysticism, and the Vesca Pisces, and Incarnation Cross, a guidebook for purpose archetypes. She publishes her own visual notes in the form of guidebooks or divination tools as a way of both learning and sharing. And for 10 years, she's been studying and using tools such as the I Ching. And as you guys know, in um, intermedicine training, the I Ching is the backbone of the gene keys. And the gene keys are what we put inside our mesas from the Carol Shamans. We put the, the I Ching in the mesa. It's like the Himalayas inside the Andes. It's so awesome. So love the I Ching. After several life-altering spiritual encounters in nature, resulting in her recovery from chronic illness, the study of spirituality has been Brenna's sole focus and career through modalities such as human design, shamanic initiations, Eastern spirituality, manual therapies, NWADL, yeah, NWADL, the, uh, the Toltec, rituals, and nature immersion. So really beautiful to have you on the show with us today. Um, there's so much more to know about Brenna, and you can find that out in the show notes. And so I, you know, I've got connected with you, Brenna, through a, a student who saw what you had to offer and was like, oh, Carrie, you'd love this. And she was right. I did. And I'm just curious, you know, where do you want to begin your story of sharing with us your journey to these modalities? And then we'll go into like some really nice depth on the modalities themselves.
1: Well, it's a long story. I'll give the, the most interesting spark notes I can do, but I... In my early 20s, I had a couple of really spectacular spiritual experiences, and then it was off to the races. There was really no other um, career path, but you don't evolve into any kind of, um, it takes a lifetime to learn anything. It's always it's an ever-evolving journey. So as I'm still learning, I'm still in my process, constantly trying to find tools and understanding and explore all these different ancient practices of spirituality, I figure while I'm on that journey, I can share what I'm learning because I I have uh, I've been privileged to be given the talent of creation and art, and so I can use that as a vehicle to help myself learn and help others learn. So when I started doing an apprenticeship a couple of years ago over in France in the Pyrenees with a, a shaman over there, as I was learning, I would just continually take notes, illustrate them they would become my own reference guides. And then I would publish those reference guides. Uh, So I've come out with a few of those now. And what's it's beautiful to just to see that there are other people interested in, in collaborating. You know, that's the idea. We're all just trying to figure it out. We're all in our own personal spiritual journey. And if we can share as much synthesis of information as possible, the more the better. So the last couple of years has been very much focused on yin. That's been kind of the mission. You know, it's like with creativity, sometimes these missions come along. And I've just been incessantly thinking about yin, the mysticism of yin, why yin is important, why it needs to be resurrected as a central focus of how we interact with our entire lives. It's this principle that we all know about it. We all generally understand yin and yang. But we don't, we aren't taught all these yin methods, strategies, ways of walking through the world in every single modality you can imagine that there's this yin way of finding success and bringing abundance to your life. And it's talked about in some ancient religions like Taoism, really, it's kind of the yin religion from my perspective. And so I, I wrote a book about yin, it's coming out now, and just discussing a couple of these, about 50 of these major topics where we can bring yin into our awareness as something that is pervasive, yet pushed to the back. And if we can bring it to the front, we gain a whole new dynamic of how we can live our lives, how we can win fights in a yin way, how we can get our career in a yin way, how we can change the way our brain works in a yin way and interact with our body in a yin way, and it's just been—it's almost been like um, a methodology for my own understanding of how everything works. So this is, yeah, it's been a very interesting journey into this world, and I'm trying to talk about it a little bit because it's—it's it's an interestingly difficult topic to broach. It's a deep vast broad area so I'm making these little videos on um TikTok and Instagram and you found one of them and I was talking about yin phobia which is um another very interesting area where we brush up against yin in our life but maybe don't give it we don't see the secret meaning behind what it's asking us to do
0: yeah I I can tell you it's like your yin is one of those things is very so large And so amorphous that it's challenging to actually talk about it. But I think we can get practical. I mean, like, for example, in your business, when you're running your business, right, as a divine purpose business, there's ways of doing things from young, from like that action center, that, you know, that sort of individualistic, like thrust, the thrusting forward into something. And then there's ways where sometimes if you take the yin approach, things happen, they just drop right into your lap. Like really easily. Mm-hmm. And I could say, like, for me, my yin would be maintaining my altars, like simply lighting my altars every day with intention and and maybe even some singing and chanting over my my altar for my community. It's just a way that I build the energy of the community. And then that community now, that energetic becomes like a a pulsing force, a pulsing energy, a pulsing magnet, let's say. Yeah that then magnetizes interest, you know? And then, so I have certainty points where people can jump into the circle and be with us. And those will then sort of flower and people will drop in out of nowhere that I didn't even know were listening to me. Like I had never met this person before versus like the young energy. I used to like maintain a list of people specifically that I thought should be in the program. And I would go after them and like invite them and continue to invite them and continue to invite them, which is like, Kind of invasive, right? And they're like, "No, I'm not," you know, "not yet."
1: Or no, I mean, even if they were yes, they'd be a no at that point because of the energetics. Yeah, that works sometimes, and certainly for some people, that's very effective for them. So you're talking about attraction, and attraction is the yin manifestation method. So if you ask someone, "How do you manifest?" it's always in yang terms. Oh, well, I go bang the door down. I go out of the house. I go communicate with people. I go make it happen in this very active, young way. But there's a whole opposite way of drawing in, which is wooing and seduction and creating this attractiveness, which you talk about the keys. I don't know if you're familiar with human design. Human design really outlines an attraction strategy through projectors. Projectors, their energetics are built for attraction except that's not really taught in human design of how do you actually use the mechanism of attraction in a very proactive way. It's, it's a funny combination of you're not doing nothing when you use the yin methods. You're being very strategic by figuring out ways that you woo in interest. And the more interest you woo, the more you can see that you've cultivated your yin in an effective way. And in my own business, I feel like I don't do anything. Like I, I feel like most of my days are spent doing absolutely nothing, and yet I I produce a lot. Um, I've come out with a few books. I think I've come out with four or five products in the last three years, and yet when I think back to my daily routine, my most productive days are the ones where I feel like I'm just kind of laying on the floor in contemplation, or in between projects where I'm just kind of in a low. And you you talk about the gene keys and Richard Rudd outlines this so perfectly in the um, the first and second gene key is that if you want there to be a spark of creativity, you have to pass through a period where there's no creativity at all, where there's nothing going on. And so in my own personal business, the way I use yin in, in creation is by letting myself have a lot of time where I'm not doing anything. Because that's actually where all the work is happening in this kind of paradoxical way. All the seeds for everything that will grow happens in the time where I outwardly look completely non-productive and that's worked pretty well. And by giving the space, the spaciousness to let things grow in their own timing, it's almost like incubating. And to not be upset by that, not be upset by the non-productivity of such a yin time where nothing's happening. And then there's an explosion and things come out. So it's when you see it from this lens, it gives you permission to love and respect the moments of your life where nothing's happening, where you're not productive, where it feels like you don't have a job, where you're not making money, where things outwardly look by young values like it's not good can actually be probably, in my opinion, the most important part of your process.
0: Yeah. And I think you were referring to the entropy, right? Entropy is that, uh, and it leads to freshness and beauty. And entropy is really uncomfortable for me as a manifester. I'm a manifester by design. So when I feel like things are stuck, I want to like Push through it, you know. I want to combust it. I want to get it out of my way, so to speak. And I'm, I want to be in flow. I want to be back in flow again. So those periods of uh, rest in my chart, they happen through stillness, and it starts with stress. So stress is my clue that I'm caught up in the young energy. It's like, okay, I'm trying to like do it all. I'm trying to manifest by doing. And actually manifesting is just a frequency I am. And so if I'm it's kind of a mental maze for somebody who's actually a straight up manifester, but it just you're like the field of manifestation. As a manifester, I'm a field of manifestation. So I don't need to do manifestation. I just am manifestation. So it's learning how to like watch my thoughts and you know my intentions unfold because they always are always constantly unfolding and they're always happening. And so whenever I have that stuck feeling, it's like, okay, how can I bring myself into restraint and stillness? And the stillness is where everything sort of integrates or alchemizes or resolves through the tension of that stillness. When the stress wants to be busy and moving, it's like, okay, holding that stillness is actually what causes the alchemization. And then through the alchemization is what causes this greater manifestation that happens, which is what I wanted anyway, you know, but I did it without doing it. What's I, your incarnation for us? Do you know? Uh, right
1: angle of service. Oh, service. I think it's right Again, angle. A very, um, yeah, it's right angle. It's very, um, it's all logic dates. It's all about looking to the future and mm-hmm. getting your shit together, you know, getting it together.
0: Yeah, it's planning, you know, and, and it's kind of like being, because I'm here and many of us that are in this pot, by the way, many of my people in my audience, we're the artists of the dream of life. Like we're the, you know, as the Toltec said, the artists of your dream of life, except that we're also dreaming the dream of the planet. So we're people who are here visualizing what's potential seven generations from now or more and creating that potential by manifesting it now through our dreaming and our knowing that it could be so. And that's a lot of responsibility. And it requires us to be in that stillness space, right? That nexus, that is the in, The nexus space, otherwise uh, known as the cosmic womb of creation and not being too attached to any one potentials that might
1: be coming forth in a dream, right? So you have the 52 very prominently defined in your life. You have the archetype of stillness. I find that archetype so interesting because it really points out that all the growth of your life will come from the moments where it seems like nothing's growing, but that's actually on the inside, everything's growing in that moment. But that can be a challenging archetype too, because if if that's very permanently defined in your life, you're going to go through a lot of moments where stillness, is kind of imposed onto you. And then you you become wise by navigating moments of stillness and then busyness back and forth.
0: Yeah. And I noticed that what you said too is that in those moments of of stillness, it seems like nothing's happening, but a lot is happening on the inside. Like I'm aware of a ton, a ton of things happening on the inside, things moving around. I'm a sleeper in, so I'll sleep in because I know that my, some of my best time happens if I just sleep in and I just let myself rest and kind of go in that in and out of the dream state, in and out of the dream state, which is the opposite of what all the coaches tell you to do. They're like, oh, get up and get started with your day. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not my way. Like my way is to lounge and to just dream and notice the dreams that surface and kind of come in and out of that for a while. And it feels like it's the mainstream calls it laziness, or they don't understand that it's actually
1: really potent. Laziness can, I think, be one of the best um, propagators of everything else in your life happening. But that's that's a whole complex topic, and we can get into the whole human design aspect of it. But like you said, you find that more things happen for you when you're in your stillness if there's stuff going on inside. And this is one of the principles of yin is that within yin, within stillness, darkness, nothing happening, like the winter period, whether it's a winter of your soul, winter outside, just when when things have get really quiet, maybe in between cycles where really it's like, oh, well, everything's died. There's nothing going on. Actually, everything for the next cycle is contained in the seed of when the least amount seems to be happening. And this is very clearly outlined in a lot of ancient texts, including The Art of War, where it's pointed out that if you can sit in stillness and if you can use yin tactics, you can control the action of how the entire battle will go. So by becoming comfortable, In stillness and yin tactics such as stealth and yielding and waiting and just letting things be still, there's so much control and power that you have over when the cycle starts to become more active and that it is actually the best time to align to the entire life cycle what's coming next after the period of stillness. It's all within that quiet time, but it's very difficult to see it that way because it's obscured. And that's what I found so interesting at looking at all of these topics of yin is that you look at them and it's very hard to pull out a meaning because yin obscures things, including its own meaningfulness. So you have to really have someone pointed out that there is actually a deep meaning going on, you know, so with stillness, there is a deep meaning going on there. All of the growth and action is actually inside that stillness. And with yin phobia, you know, what's the meaning of being afraid? What's the meaning of the fear that yin engenders in so many people? And I would say that it is, it's like a compass needle. The fear that you feel about yin is also deeply connected to your deepest desires and the most meaningful work that you have to do, your purpose, purpose of your life. It's going to engender this kind of fear and fear of yin things. And with all of these topics and all of the phases of yin that we go through, whether it's winter or chaos or endings or beginnings or grief or separation, they all have this kind of secret, obscured, dark gift that comes from them. And we just don't, we don't learn that there's the value there. And it makes it harder to go through these dips, these yin dips in life. We associate them with painful or bad or evil. When in reality, you just can't see what you're gaining from it while you're in it. You get, it's kind of like being in this dark cloud. And then once it passes, the meaning comes.
0: Yeah, I would say what you're really bringing up for me is when I was maybe in my mid-teens, I was diagnosed, you know, manic-depressive because I would go through these phases of being like super high energy, super able to to be accomplish a lot of things and be really on it. And then I'd go through these other periods where I'd be like really depressed and like down in the doldrums and wanting to sleep all the time and like really, really, really low. And so of course, you know, the goal was to stop that, you know, stop that cycling and just flatline. And that's not actually leveraging the cycle. I think that in nature, we we see the cycles all the time. We see the winter, the winter when nothing's growing. We see the spring when the buds come out. We see the summer when everything's alive and in motion and really beautiful. And we go to the beach and we have fun. And, but we always also need to come back to the hearth. And so, It's like coming back into relationship with shamanism is actually what healed me because I realized the moon has phases. I have phases. The planet has phases. I have phases. And my phases are not wrong, my phases are authentic. And to learn to trust those phases and know that you're going to come out the other side of that fallow period, that quiet, you know, period where it feels like I just don't have any energy or I just need to rest or I'm sleeping 15 hour days or that that's okay. That's part of a cycle That's part of something natural that's happening. And it doesn't mean anything's out of whack or incorrect because it's not showing up like, you know, the same quantity every single minute of every single day, right? We have to move out of this regimented idea about everybody being exactly the same way and the energy should be exactly the same every single day and you should better to put your 80 hours a week in to like, that doesn't work actually. And, you know, so why are people afraid? Brennan, you asked that question. I think because we are expected to keep earning and earning and earning on this consistent schedule, right? And then what if we have to stop for six months because we actually just need to rest. And does our system provide support for that? At this point, the answer is kind of no, not really. And so there's fear, like where will my, who will take care of me when I need to be
1: fallow? Yeah, and you know, you're making me think of um, in the I Ching, there's a lot of references to rest periods. And in one of them, it's called decrease. I think it's the 41st or 42nd hexagram that, It's outlining, there's periods of time where everything decreases. You run out of money, you run out of wealth, everything goes down. And you have to pull inwards and kind of go into a period of humble, living humbly, which living in a humble way can mean many things, but it often means living in a less outward, externalized, fast-paced way. And it explicitly describes that When you live, when you go through a period of decrease where you don't have a lot, your heart and your soul is deeply nourished and that that's very healthy for you. And while it will be a little bit uncomfortable on the surface to not have as much for a little while, not have as much fun or excitement or money or whatever energy, you're getting an internal nourishment. And that's another part of units. you get nourished by it. Yin is the nourish, it's a very nourishing phase of any cycle and it's recovery and rest. And we, again, we don't value that. We don't value that rest and not doing and letting things just be still, letting yourself not be productive, letting yourself just receive is what actually will feed you being able to do more later, Um, but it's just not taught. Not taught that uh that's valuable. And it sounds very obvious, but when you actually come into those situations, it can be hard to remember that and say, no, this is all right. Even if it's not valued as a society yet, I can value it. I can know that my worth has not decreased. Just because we don't have a cyclical society that values things going up and down periodically, the up and down means sustainability. You don't have a sustainable cycle that's always going up a sustainable cycle that's always going up will eventually crash. And we all collectively know this. We all know that this constant speeding forward will lead to a collapse. And we can all make the choice in our day-to-day life to embody decrease, to know that when we do go through a decrease, it allows a healthier increase to come back around. And that's letting seasons come into your life, whether that's physically living by the seasons Or living by the seasons of our emotions, of when we need to rest, when we're feeling up or down, when we're feeling, when we go through periods where things don't work out, that it's completely okay to go through winter. In fact, it's completely necessary to go through a winter in whatever cyclical cycle you go through, whether that's a creative cycle, a work cycle. Uh, If you don't take a mandatory rest season every year, you're going to burn out. And, but nobody, nobody does this because it's hard to do it to just say, I'm going to take a period of my whole life and just downshift for a nice long period of time. So I can self-work, I can heal, which will lead to me having more productivity later. It's hard to do, but it's necessary.
0: It is necessary. You can build it into your weekly schedule. I mean, what I've done, it, it was my own schedule is I have my classes on Saturdays and I have one on Sundays. And so that's when I have to be available, right? And so that means that the rest of the week, I have these options with what to do with my time. And if I'm feeling really good and I'm feeling alive and vibrant, I can do interviews. And if I'm feeling really tired, I can rest, right? And so there's like that plenty of space built in. And even like letting myself off the hook of those As expectations as an entrepreneur, like you know, those ones where you're supposed to post on Instagram like every single day, or you're supposed to maybe (laughs) what if, what if I'm the moon? What if sometimes I post and sometimes I don't? Then I'm the
1: the moon, right? Yeah, the ebb and flow. And I, this great example, if we go back to the yin phobia topic, is that when we look at the fears that we have of yin, we can also pair that alongside the most desirous part, the most desirous aspect of yin. Because I think everybody has this. There's things that we deeply desire about yin. We really want it. It's attractive to us. And then there's a part of yin that we really don't like and it really scares us. And I think that that tells a story about each person's work that they have to do. And one example of of someone who has this phobia versus Uh, Desire of Yin is a friend of mine who is very afraid of not being productive. She deeply dislikes not working. She wants to rest, but she can't seem to stop. And she's just constantly studying and working. And she's really uh, quite a productive woman. But her deepest desire is she wants to be like a yogi, like a nun. She wants to be this meditator for her life, like her career. So isn't it funny that on one hand, she has this fear of slowing down and being not productive with her life. And yet she deeply desires a life where you're not very productive, you're just meditating. And so what does it mean to put these side by side? And I think my understanding of it is that for her, the journey is finding value in doing nothing. That's what these two things together outline, and so to your point about how do you balance your career—that's what she's learning—and that 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 yin aspect in her career is on the periphery; it hasn't necessarily come in yet, be something that's embodied. But just by pointing out, just by noticing these two relationships that we have to two yin things, gives us a little indicator light of where yin can come in and be most beneficial in our work. I have a bunch of examples of these like fear fear versus desire indicator lights of where it is that we want to work. It's very fascinating.
0: Yeah. And it feels also, I've heard it said that at this time, that we're not really up on the mountain anymore, you know? So like we've had lifetimes where we were just in constant meditation for decades and decades of our lives and in this lifetime where many of us are playing around with how do we move through our day, move through our life in prayer and trance and meditation brain. So how do we move through life while meditating, right? How do we be the hummingbird? How do we be the stillness and the motion? Mm. And there's actually, there's this great quote I actually added to my book and I can't remember the whole quote very well, dang it. But it was at Bruce Lee and it was basically saying that the real art is not the stillness. The real art is the stillness with the motion. So it's like, I feel like we're practicing that now and that brings this conversation real importance, right? How do we bring yin to
1: the yang? How do we bring it through everything we're doing? Yeah, well, that that brings up a good point, which any traditional Chinese medicine practitioner will tell you is that it's almost, for lack of a better word, sacrilegious to focus on yin without yang, because you always have to have the two together. My philosophy is that it is important to focus on yin a little bit more than yang, because it naturally floats to the back. It naturally is forgotten about, and it's our work to put a lot of emphasis on it, to, to you know keep it in the partnership and to put yin and yang together always brings the most success. So my idea is first cultivate what yin is and how we have a relationship with it, then we can have better balance with the existing yang. But it, what you were talking about about how do we walk a life with that balance? How do we bring them together? This brings in the idea of what are the practices that we can do or what's what is the way that we can for lack of a better word, fix or balance, harmonize the yin and the yang if there isn't harmony there. And my idea about this is that, well, first we want to re-educate what yin values are and just have a societal value on it again. Um, But also there are some very specific modern advanced practices that you can do that do actually bring more yin physically into the body and it's not just things like meditating which is wonderful or body practices or tanka or anything that connects you with your your body and your emotions and your waters practices like emdr therapy and hypnosis i think are two of the best ways to actually bring the yin in our brain into better cohesion with the yang part of our brain and we do have a yin we do have a lot of yin and yang synthesis in the brain um we have the right and left hemispheres so the right hemispheres certainly much more yin than the left hemisphere which is yang but also the front of the brain is more yang in comparison to the back of the brain and it's my personal belief that the higher the, the rising rates of ADHD autism these young brain conditions, which put much more emphasis on the young parts of the brain, so ADHD and autism, lateralize the brain function onto the yang hemisphere. So there's this separation of the yin and yang parts of the brain. And with uh, ADHD, the young front of the brain that takes action in the back of the brain, which knows and absorbs memory and information, uh, they become disjointed. And so there are actually practices that help the brain start to unify the its yin parts with the yang parts. And interestingly, because you mentioned, depressive, these depressive periods, the part of the brain that's associated with depression is the, the right hemisphere. I believe the back of the right hemisphere. And so we know that there is a link between this yin part of the brain and depression, uh, actually, it might be the front of the brain, the front of the right hemisphere, but what it also gives us, that part of the brain also gives us our greatest self-awareness. And so this, there's a link between people who are depressed and people who are very self-aware. <laughs> and that actually that self-awareness can make you depressed because there's so much self Feedback and self-critique as to what's happening within your own system. Um, and so again, we put this emphasis on, oh, depression is bad because it's painful and it 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 slows people down, it creates all of these symptoms. And yet there are there is a value to it. And some of our most distinguished um historical figures have been incredibly depressed because it for some reason depression is creating this incredible purpose-driven awareness within individuals. So again, it's this we we all put all this na- negative connotation to things that we associate with yin or painful or bad that actually do have their secret obscured value.
0: Yeah, they have a lot of value. And I would say, I was laughing when like, the more self-aware you are, the more depressed you can be. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> and, but it's kind of like going through that self-awareness and allowing yourself to feel and really dive into those those knowings, right? Is what actually clears a lot of energy from our systems that is under the surface. And the right brain has what, 98% you know, the subconscious has 98% that we don't even know what it does. Well, what if it's storing content until we have a chance to just be still and let it process and integrate out and be felt and witnessed on its way out, that kind of thing. And when we get really still, that's when that that can happen. And when we're really creative, we open the door to that because we open that right brain. We open that subconscious brain. We we unleash it, so to speak, through our creativity and through our, our opening that door the, to the portal. And it floods out. And it's not just ours, but it's our ancestors, you know. And this is what a lot of healers are doing is that they're feeling everything that is in that um, 98% that needs to be perceived and and healed and rewired and brought into presence, So that it can shift, it can change, because we're changing everything at this time on the planet. And that takes a lot of courage, you know, to open that door and to feel everything and to be still with it. It takes a lot of courage and it will knock you on your ass from time to time and you know, in a healthy way, just for your own good, so that you can, you know, get through that chunk and release it.
1: Precisely. And you hit the nail on the head that yin speaks through. Space, having space and quiet you know when we are getting yin messages from our system it doesn't speak so explicitly. you know the left hemisphere the young hemisphere is the one correlated more with verbal consecutive speech but the, the right hemisphere I mean they both they both do speech you know both the hemispheres always do everything but there's an emphasis on on each side. Yin comes through archetypes, symbols, feelings, sensations in the body, felt emotions, you know, are the waters of our body, systemic responses. So if we want to hear what's going on in our system, that's going on below the surface, we want to know this subconscious messaging, there has to be room, there has to be quiet. It's so um, subtle, that we can't expect to know what's going on under the surface in this very important yin half of our lives, if there's just a din constantly, if there's constant action, constant doing, constant work, there's no room to hear, right? So that's why taking a winter, one of these mandatory winter seasons is so important, because that's when our yin rises up and says, listen to me, here's what's wrong, here's what's hurting me. And that's also why a lot of people don't like to slow down, right? Because when they slow down, all of a sudden, the things that hurt, the things that they're suppressing say, hey, this isn't right. And now I have a voice. Now you have to listen to me, to these subconscious pains. This is also why I also used to hate winter, because when winter comes up, you have to feel everything because things get quieter. And with time and work, it can get a little, you know, when when you make space for it and you keep working at it, it doesn't have to always be so painful. But so taking the space to allow these feelings and emotions to come up gives, gives room. It allows for a better communication. And uh, yeah, I was going to go somewhere else with that, but I completely forgot where I was going, but you, you got it exactly right. It's very important to allow quietness. And for example, during the coronavirus pandemic, you know, we were all forced into a, a bit of a a yin season, a winter where we're not allowed to go out, we're not allowed to have fun, we're not allowed fun. You know, we're not allowed to go out into like clubs or partying or drinking. We're not commuting. We're not slaving away in a in an office. So all of these distractions, which make it really easy to not listen to these subtle little voices, are gone. And then everybody at the same time, which is incredible, everyone was starting to have this self-reckoning of, am I comfortable with my life? And a lot of people started to hear, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not comfortable in my relationships. I'm not comfortable in my home, in my location, in my job, or I'm not comfortable because I haven't fleshed out parts of my life that are more internal. And so everybody had to listen to the rising yin coming up during this period. And I think it benefited a lot of people. It was uncomfortable, but it benefited us by giving, forcing us to, to slow down enough to notice what isn't working. And that's another reason why it's so important to, to get into that still, slow, nothing happening phase, is that when you get there, the things that aren't working are going to make themselves really clear. It isn't fun not fun to notice that something's not working, but it's very necessary to just sit with it without being able to just run away.
0: Yeah. And and there's actually usually really elegant solutions inside there too, for things that are going on in your life. If you just take some time and, and get quiet and listen, you'll hear those elegant solutions and it's actually save you a lot of toil, you know, lots and lots of toil if you just stop and listen for a little bit every single day. And if not every day, every week, setting aside that time to be really still or to sleep in or to let your dreaming brain show you things you didn't know, right? And it's uh, it's not being lazy, it's being smart. I wanna go in and find out what's actually going on inside of me at the deeper levels and get underneath the surface and outside of my thinking brain, you know, and into
1: my the rest of my body and my heart. For a lot of us as children, we weren't educated by our parents that that just not being constantly involved in activity is wonderful and and good right so our subconscious grows by being praised right our conscious mind grows by being pushed and so what a lot of parents do is they think they because they're not educated about the different ways that yin is from is, is grown or facilitated or supported in themselves or for their children, they think that the way that I will support my child is to constantly push them into action. You know, I want them to grow. Of course, it's the most wonderful, it's and that is necessary. You do want to force not force, you want to push your kids to grow, but also very important is to praise them. And give them permission to not always be doing. And so when your child is just hanging out at home, needing to just have a cuddle and not do anything and rest or take a day off, we want parents that say, okay, that's fine. And praise them for connecting to their sensations and their needs and whatever it is that they're facilitating interest in, cultivating interest in, in their childhood. That this praise allows you to feel okay in moments of of down down periods, whether it's uh, an emotional low or just an externally quiet time, that's perfectly okay. And it's often our mothers that do the majority of the imprinting of just being calm within stillness, you know, and a lot of people don't grow up with that. They have very action-oriented mothers. That are going out to work and not keep showing them by example that it's okay to just sit at home, have a cuddle, and just chill out and relax. And what that can sometimes grow into are a plethora of codependencies or feeling unsafe within stillness because our mother or father wasn't there to say it's okay. For you to not do right now, it's okay for you to stay home from school. It's okay for you to be not, you know, hitting all these, jumping all these hoops throughout your childhood. And then you become an adult, and you go through a period of time as an adult, and you, where you're you're not hitting the hoops, you're not constantly jumping through more and more hoops. You start to feel really bad about yourself because you don't have the basis and the foundation that it's perfectly fine to be. Just not jumping through hoops for a while, (laughs) no more hoops. And then there's this intense self critique. You know, it's like a police state. If you're brought up to be constantly like uh, jumping over hurdles all the time, and that your all your value is put on that as a child, you know, if you're only getting praise from doing action, you're going to grow up and think I can only praise myself if I'm taking action. And it's a bit of a tragedy, I think, for a lot of people who they get to a period of life where it is absolutely appropriate to be not taking action and they don't feel good about it in their body. They feel bad and they're mean to themselves and they're angry at themselves. I do this as well. I feel like I'm pretty good with this, but even I do it. You know, you go through a period of time where you're not working and you start to self critique and you say, well, where's my, my value. I'm not making anything. So therefore maybe I'm not good. And I think it's worth, Saying to anyone willing to hear it that you should be praised for taking a break and you should be praised for taking care of yourself and resting when you're sick, resting when you're injured. If you're emotionally injured, rest, get help, seek help, seek comfort. All of these things that deserve praise. Anytime someone seeks help, comfort, seeks to meet their needs, seeks to just feel their sensations, it deserves. Praise so that we can re-instill that it's healthy and normal and that we want to grow into wise grandmothers and grandfathers. We want to be able to embody that loving kindness to just be still and love ourselves, be gentle for ourselves, and to be gentle to everybody else who might not be meeting these high um these high bars of what it means to be a valuable person in society. And they say in the Tao Te Ching, my one of my favorite quotes from the Tao Te Ching is that, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but it goes something like, you know, when you become a master, you are as dignified as a king and as kind-hearted as a grandmother. So a king and a grandmother are placed on equal measure of value, dignified and kind hearted. And so and yet somehow, like somewhere along the lines, kings and grandmothers stopped being an equal weight. But I would think having a kind hearted grandmother in your life growing up is worth more than its weight in gold. You know, you don't ever get that gift back to have a kind hearted grandmother who will just sit with you and just be with you that's the value of yin you really see it embodied in an an old woman who's just with you just present still and hold you against her bosom make you feel safe and valued that's my goal that version of value comes back into society and that that starts to take its place again that's my beautiful vision I
0: love that vision I say yes to that vision yes for kind-hearted grandmas that hold you against our bosom and hold face for you I love mm-hmm. thank you so much for that vision Brenna, beautiful so your book is coming out and it's going to be on
1: Amazon be on Amazon it's on Etsy it's going to be up soon on Kindle and Kindle and iBooks, and I will be finishing up the audiobook shortly so, fingers crossed. Well, upload smoothly. And it's about two weeks out. It's in the pre-order still, but what's the, uh, what's the full title again? Called Yin Mysticism and the Bessica Pisces.
0: Nice. Okay, great. So I'm going to put the link everybody to the pre-order. And if you're watching this long after then you should just order it. Get your own copy. Beautiful work. Thank you so much, Brenna, for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom with us and your, and your beautiful vision of the grandmother. I love that. And I'm going to definitely be getting your book because I want to read it. And I recommend everybody do that. And please share this out, you know, share this episode out with anybody that you know that would benefit from hearing um, the wisdom in this broadcast and the messages and the encouragement to be still and to take care of yourself. And gosh, what a gorgeous episode. Please like, share, subscribe, all the things. And we're going to give kisses. Would you like to help me? We're going to give kisses to everybody. Okay, here come your kisses, everybody. We love you.
1: Mmm. Mm-hmm. out therapy. I'm not a grandmother yet, but <laughs> art prism <wisdom> therapy. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who needs to lay their head on a loving heart, you know, beautiful. can't give it to everyone physically, but
0: beautiful. Give kisses, and we'll see you guys next week on Soul Nectar Show. Thanks for tuning in with us. <laughs> Bye for Thanks now. Thanks for having me. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul nectar Show, wake wake
1: Soul nectar. Nectar Show, take a sip from the chip of
0: nectar, from the of Nectar Show.